Hello and welcome to Contagious Thinking, the podcast from the MRC University of Glasgow Centre for Virus Research. I'm Connor Bamford, a postdoc at the CVR and your host for this episode. In this episode, we're welcoming Professor Paul Griffiths from the Royal Free Hospital at University College London. Professor Griffiths, who is a clinician by training, came to Glasgow earlier this year to give a seminar. We cut up with Paul on this episode and chat about his favourite virus, cytomegalovirus, the road to making and testing vaccines against this virus, and his surprising side career as an author of factual and fictional science-inspired books. Okay, so I think we're fine. Um, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Connor Bamford. I'm a postdoc in the CVR in the lab of John McLaughlin working on um, antiviral innate immunity. And I'm Paul Griffiths. I'm Professor of Virology at University College London. Okay, so maybe we can begin um, sort of a bit about your background. Where, where, where were you born? Where did you go to school? Things like this. Oh, wow. That's a long, complicated story. <laughs> so I was born in Liverpool right. um, and went to school at several different places. Um, uh, Surrey and um, Cambridgeshire, okay. basically, and then went to London University. Okay. Um, so when did you get interested in science? Well, I've always been interested in, in science. Um, I went through the medical course. The first couple of years were very well taught mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. science background and stayed on to do an extra year, an integrated BSc. And I chose biochemistry because okay. I wanted to learn lab methods that I could right. learn and apply uh, for future research if I wanted mm-hmm. to research later on. And then I went across the road to the clinical course and... Um, uh, the consultant doing the ward round said there's a patient here at the end of the bed and he's yellow. We think there's something wrong with his liver. That's called jaundice. And I'm just going to feel in his abdomen to see if I can feel if his liver is enlarged. Oh, yes, it is enlarged. Come and feel the liver. And I thought, you yeah, know, this is a really um, strange way of trying to examine the liver. Yeah, I've yeah. just a few weeks ago been doing an experiment where we would take um, poor old rats, sacrifice some rats, take their liver, um, process their cells. I think it was a dance homogenizer, wasn't it? You process their cells and fractionate um, the the, um, enzymes into different different compartments and add a radio-labeled substrate, and then you'd see the product. And I think it was thin-layer chromatography that you'd see the product coming through. And this is how we'd look at enzyme function Mm -hmm. and and assess the function of the liver. why would you be prodding someone in the belly in order to see <laughs> yeah, if there's something yeah. wrong with their liver? This this must be antediluvian, really. Um, so I'm going to have to keep some science up as well as the clinical thing. Of course, now I recognise how important yeah, clinical medicine is, and that was just a component. But that was my attitude at the time. And it, as part of the introductory lectures, the professor of virology gave a great, great series mm-hmm. of, of talks. And at the end, he said, well, that's all I've got time for in virus. If anyone's interested, come across to the lab and we'll tell you a bit more. So I thought, well, that sounds fun. So I went over there. Okay. And that was Professor Heath. And he took me under his wing, really, and showed me a few things that were going on. And we okay. managed to do a little bit of lab work. <coughs> and then I became interested. Rubella was being looked at. Okay. We were testing um, and giving vaccine to women who lacked antibodies. Um, and at that time, rubella was circulating, so terminations of pregnancy had to be offered to women who had okay. rubella infection in the first trimester. It's obviously nice to try to prevent that. Mm-hmm. And CMV seemed to be a bit similar, so we thought we'd add CMV into it. Okay. So as a project to keep going for the next couple of years of the clinical course, we just collected the ordinary samples that we had for rubella 
and uh, tested it to see who had seroconverted during pregnancy. Okay. We ended up following 10,000 pregnant women, I think it was, oh, wow. in, in okay. the study. And that's when I got hooked. And the more I read about CMV, I thought, this is really important. And why is no one doing anything about it? Why is no one studying it? Why don't we have a vaccine? Why don't we have treatments for it? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't anyone talk about it? So you've been CMV all your from virology? That, from that moment Great. onwards, yes. Uh, CMV is my first love. In fact... <laughs> Um, a few, well, several Christmases ago now, my wife gave me a picture, which I opened up at Christmas mm -hmm. with our children, and it was a signed um, picture on the back uh, of an electron micrograph of a herpes virus. Okay. And she con had conspired with my lab manager to produce a picture of CMV, and she'd written on the back, a picture of your first love from your oh, second right. love. You see. So my it's response lot, was, yeah. oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you know your place in life, <laughs> <laughs> which didn't go down terribly yeah. well. Um, but the, the thought was well made. Yeah, I've always been interested in CMV. It's, um, it's a real uh, tricky thing to work with, but great fun. So y you've had the experience of... Ex I guess, seeing CMV in the clinical and in the lab? Yes, both of those. And so congenital CMV, which is when I went to, to Alabama, both for um, a few months in 76 as a student, but then went back for the year of 8081 as a, as a fellow. Um, okay, so, so you did your, um, maybe we've missed out you doing your PhD or what was? Um, yes, yeah, so the PhD was on CMV. Okay. Basically, the thesis was on, on CMV. So that's the MD uh, okay. in the medical faculty was on CMV. It was, that was on the congenital CMV mm -hmm. and um, CMV infection during pregnancy. And I went back to Alabama for mm -hmm. the, the fellowship, and that was looking at cell-mediated immunity in, in those days and um, enzyme immunoassays, really old-fashioned stuff okay. now, but working up um, assays that would be useful in, in clinical practice. And then came back to the UK, and I hadn't been back very long before the Royal Free decided that they needed a virologist. So I went there to... Um, for a few years to begin with, okay. and ended up staying there all of the time, oh, well, basically. Must have liked it. Well, because they have the transplant centre, and the transplant patients are great for what we're trying to do. It's the major population for CMV. Okay. And effectively, as I was saying in the talk, it, it works like a, a human challenge model, mm -hmm. where the surgeons, with the objective of providing life-saving um, uh, improvements in renal function or, or liver function as part of transplantation, in practice, they're actually transplanting CMV in some cases right, along yeah. with the organ. So we can study that and having defined natural history, we can then intervene. And it's been great to watch these previously young adults had a high risk of getting CMV and organ disease, which yeah. was clinically very serious. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we get virtually none of that. Preemptive therapy is very effective at preventing it. Okay. And it still allows us to continue following natural history and trying to do better. Right. So at the moment, we've done quite well at preventing CMV disease. The project now is, can we prevent CMV infection? Can okay. we come up with a vaccine that is effective enough to stop the virus being transmitted from donor to recipient? Mm -hmm. And can we boost the immunity of those people who are at risk of reactivating latent virus that they bring into hospital with them? Okay. I mean, that's all, all sounds great. But maybe before we launch into that, we should cover what is CMV. We've, we've talked about, in, in this podcast, we've um, talked with uh, Mike Weeks about CMV, Thomas Schultz about um, Kaposi sarcoma, Roger Everett here about HSV. So maybe you can remind some of our listeners what, what is CMV and what's a herpes virus? Oh, so herpes viruses are a group of eight different viruses that infect um, humans. And they have a series of characteristics, one of which is that uh, once you've got them, you've got them for life. And they do this by establishing latency, which lets them hide from the immune system. And from time to time, they reactivate to come back out and try to transmit onto other people. Mm -hmm. So unlike a virus like measles or smallpox that has only a few days chance of transmitting onto another mm -hmm. individual, 
herpes viruses, if, if you live for 75 years, they have 75 years of trying to transmit onto other people you come in contact with. And so it's um, much more transmissible in the community <coughs> as a whole, higher proportions end up becoming Over. infected. But each time you encounter a herpes virus, your risk of getting it is actually quite low. There isn't very much virus that's produced, but okay. it has multiple bites of the cherry to try to infect you. So how is CMV spread? Is it is it airborne? No, or? it's spread in the, it's in the saliva and urine of young children. That's the predominant means of transmission. And so it's women of childbearing age who are at risk of acquiring it from, from children, oh, okay. either their own children, usually, or in the special case of, of women who work in providing childcare, they're also at risk of acquiring it from other people's children. Okay. But it's not acquired by professionals such as nurses who deal with patient secretions. So it's acquiring saliva in a social setting that's important, not right, in coming okay. contact yep, with it yep. professionally. So which means that washing your hands should it, be enough it. to interrupt transmission. And we need to try to explain to women that they need to wash their hands after changing nappies, first of all, but also that they should hug children and con um, console them in a way that doesn't transmit saliva okay. to them. And, and this is because... So most people are infected with CMV, um, but you can be infected with multiple strains or... Yeah, so CMV is bad for you if you're, if you're a woman of childbearing age, if you get it for the first time when you happen to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So overall, 60% of women have been infected with CMV in the past. What you don't want to do is to have that first infection be mm -hmm. at a time when, when you're pregnant. Is that because it's bad for you or because it's bad for the no, child? No, it doesn't do any harm to, to the woman or, or to no adults with normal immunity. It, it damages the, the unborn fetus and it spreads in the mother's bloodstream, infects the placenta mm -hmm. and crosses to infect the fetus where it can cause quite substantial damage in some, in some cases. It's only a minority of cases, but the ones who are damaged can are be really... damaged quite profoundly. Okay, so what kind of diseases does it cause then? So often it's not recognised until birth and the baby is born with microcephaly, a small mm -hmm. head circumference. It may have thrombocytopenic purpura, so that's a rash in the skin due to a shortage of platelets because the virus is sitting in, in the bone marrow. Those would be characteristic appearances. They may also have hepatosplenomegaly, which is mm -hmm. the response of the reticuloendothelial system to, to infection. And when they do an ultrasound scan, um, you may find intracranial calcifications. So this is that the brain has become infected, uh, tissue has been damaged, and uh, as part of the healing process, um, calcium has been deposited. So that's easy to see by ultrasound. Okay. And that has, is a marker of poor prognosis for mm -hmm. neurological development for intellectual okay. development. On top of all of that, the virus also gains access to the inner ear and very slowly but progressively damages the hearing of some children. And it turns out the CMV is either the first or the second commonest cause of sensorineural hearing loss in this country. Okay, so yeah. it's a substantial uh, substantial problem. Burden, yeah. Um, so it sounds like something you'd want to stop. So what? Oh, absolutely. So it damages more children than does Down syndrome in okay. this country, for example. And yet most people have heard of Down syndrome. Very few have heard of CMV. Okay. So apart from washing your hands, what, what, what tools do we have to stop it? Well, at the moment, we don't really. <laughs> what we need to do is to have a vaccine that can be given and used for universal immunization to interrupt transmission in the okay. community. And there are some reasons for optimism um, about a vaccine, partly from the natural history. The virus isn't readily transmissible person to person. So if you can provide 
um, a vaccine that slows down its transmission in the community. Our prediction is that if you can protect about 60% of the population, okay. that will be enough to see the virus ultimately disappear from our community over a period of years. 60% sounds quite achievable. Well, 60% it should be achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, That means if we have a vaccine with 100% um, efficacy, right. you'd only need to immunise 60% of the population. Okay. Uh, of course, if the vaccine only has 60% efficacy, you'd need to immunise 100% of the population. And somewhere between those two parameters tells you how many you need to immunise. Right. So do we have any vaccines in trial? Or? So the vaccines can be put <coughs> colloquially into first generation and now second generation vaccines. So the first generation vaccines have provided some efficacy, perhaps 40 to 50% overall in women of childbearing age and in solid organ transplant recipients. That's not good enough to proceed. But they they work really by inducing uh, humoral immunity antibodies. Okay. There's a new set of vaccines, uh, second generation vaccines coming through that induce both humoral immunity and cell mediated immunity. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that if you're getting 40 to 50 percent protection from humoral immunity, perhaps if cell mediated gives you 40 percent to 50 yeah. percent immunity, we'll have Something enough to working. go off okay. and have a vaccine that could be licensable. And there are two proof of concept phase two studies underway at the moment. And it's possible within about 18 months we'll know roughly whether one or both, hopefully, of those two is looking viable for further okay, yeah. further development. So what what's the vaccine based on? Is it a, a live CMV? or is it No, something? we wouldn't be wanting to use a live CMV. It has been studied in the past, but I don't think that's a, a suitable way, way mm-hmm. forward. Um, either a subunit vaccine where you try to um, immunize people with the proteins that we think are responsible for conferring protective immune responses okay, yeah. against recipients, or trying to mimic what happens in nature by giving a whole virus preparation, but in a format that blocks virus replication. Otherwise, you'll get the immune evasion genes of CMV mm-hmm. expressed, and so you won't get a very good immune response. So it's two uh, different okay. approaches. And one of them is? One, 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 one is being be. tried in women of childbearing age, and the other one is being tried in the transplant patients. Okay, and then if it works there, you could reasonably put it out to everybody or well i think that that will be a phase two study if you get a positive signal from the phase two studies with, with either or both of those vaccines then i hope the vaccine manufacturers will take it into phase three studies mm-hmm. which would take longer and be larger but those are the ones that lead to licensure and say okay. yes this product would now be available and would right. be prescribable and then you have to get committees in the, this country it's the jcvi uh, committee for mm-hmm. the department of health mm-hmm. that makes recommendations on which vaccine should be used and under what circumstances my personal preference if i was asked was i would give the vaccine to toddlers of both sexes to as a way of protecting the mother yeah, from yeah. their infected secretions and i'd give the vaccine to teenagers of both sexes mm-hmm. as a way of preparing them uh, for the fact they're going to enter the childbearing years um, and try to give them protection at that particular time and i would introduce the vaccine at both of those time points yeah sounds reasonable um I guess there's a chickenpox vaccine, or is it shingles? So, yes. So basically, uh, people used to think that herpes viruses, because they they keep recurring, you'd never be able to have a vaccine against a herpes mm-hmm. virus. This used to be a, a mantra that, that people said. And then, of course, we had chickenpox vaccine, mm-hmm. which has proven to be really quite effective, certainly in the United States, uh, at interrupting transmission mm-hmm. of chickenpox virus in the community. That virus, varicella zoster virus, also causes shingles. Mm-hmm. And again, in a milestone experiment, Oxman and colleagues about all 10 years ago published a report showing that you could give the vaccine to people who've had chickenpox in the past and you could boost their immunity such that it decreased the chance of the virus reactivating Mm -hmm. to cause shingles. 
and that's the first use of a vaccine for immunotherapy, which you can mm. define as not preventing infection initially, yep. but taking people who've already been infected and giving them a vaccine to stop it recurring. Mm -hmm. So the future is bright for CMV vaccines then? Well, there is that precedent, and that is encouraging. Um, it doesn't guarantee that a CMV vaccine would work. Sure. We have to have the data from controlled observations. There have to be studies where people are randomized to receive vaccine or placebo, and we can see exactly how much protection did it provide, and are there any side effects that have to be offset against that, mm -hmm. that benefit. Provided that that um, therapeutic efficacy is positive sure. then yes definitely we should run with that as soon as possible okay um so then just to finish up um so what would you be if you weren't a scientist this is the question we ask everybody or or a, a clinician oh i think that would be rather <laughs> difficult to imagine i've spent so many years doing this and science is so involved in um everything i do that i think it really would be quite quite difficult well what i do do though and i've got into in the last few years is writing and trying to write particularly for the general public because okay, obviously yeah. the cv lists hundreds of articles as usual for technical articles mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the small number of people who read them around the world but there's all this information out there and you say why don't people know more about cmv well perhaps because we haven't told them very much about yeah, it yeah and part of my um clinical practice is to see women who've got CMV during pregnancy and to counsel them and their partners about mm -hmm. their risks and to help steer them through the difficult decisions that they need to make. They often say, um, why is CMV so complicated? And I would reply to them, well, it actually isn't that complicated. If you look at it from the virus's point of view, it just wants to pass on to indi other individuals to, in order to maintain itself in the community. And the fact that it needs primary infection, reinfection and reactivation is just a manifestation of our immune response. And right, yeah. it has responded to, mm -hmm. to our immune defenses in that particular way. But if you look at it from the virus's point of view, it, it would apologize. It would say it's very sorry <laughs> for causing disease. It's not in its interest it to cause disease. And so I decided to try to explain this mm -hmm. um, with little case vignettes of individual uh, patient stories um, and starting off the, the book um, with, with the, the virus personified. He right, or she yeah. is apologizing for the fact that he's caused disease and explain why it actually isn't the virus's fault as Andrew Davison's work here from the uh, Institute of, uh, mm -hmm. at Glasgow shows, you know, the virus has been around for perhaps 180 million years. And in that time, um, it has successfully passed from person to person without declaring its presence. It's only in the last century, it's things that humans have done that have put us at risk of getting disease from CMV. We've, after the First World War, we learned to do blood transfusions, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is a way of transmitting yeah, yeah. CMV. We learned to transmit organs from person to person, yeah, which yeah. is a way of transmitting CMV. We've had the AIDS epidemic that has given us HIV and mm -hmm. immunocompromised people, so they get more disease from CMV. We've had smaller family sizes so that women don't gain immunity in childhood. They enter the childbearing years without any immune protection against CMV. And then we're all living longer instead of dying off at a time when CMV expected at 35 or 40 years of age. We're now living 70, 80, 90 years of age yeah. and getting the immunosenescence associated with, with CMV. So it's things that humans have done. It's not the virus's fault. Please don't blame the virus. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the opening chapter of this book called The Stealth Virus. Um, to trying to help people about yeah. CMV. And um, is this book available to buy? Or? Yeah, I mean, it, it's available on, uh, on, on Amazon. And I should say any proceeds go to the Royal Free Charity, not to me. I wouldn't want to make any, yeah, uh, sure. any profit from people's uh, um, discomfort from having virus infections.
Oh, but then I, I got quite uh, quite enjoyed doing that. So and then I tried another one, which is called Gut Feeling, which is just a bit of a rant at the bureaucrats who um, hold back our clinical trial work. Oh, wow. And then the latest one is called Lenti. It's a scientist who goes a bit mad and becomes the bad guy, tries to use a virus to kill people. Okay. Uh, well, we'll definitely different. try and yeah, read them and uh, let a lot of people know. Well, thanks very much. See Thank you for listening, and of course, thank you to Professor Griffiths for joining me this episode. As always, you can find our previous content on herpes viruses like cytomegalovirus and even vaccines over at cvrblog.myportfolio.com, email us at cvrcontagiousthinking at gmail.com, or tweet us at at cvrblog. Join us next week where we'll be joined by Professor Patricia Nuttall to hear about ticks and the microbes they spread. <laughs>